Hey, everybody, welcome to the Fluential and Friends podcast, where the story of your life can help somebody else's life story. My name is Joseph Ortiz. I'm here with my very special guest, a guy that I'm very happy to call a friend, Mike Safai. How are you doing today, Mike? Good, brother. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time to, to sit down with me, even though it is virtual. We're still sitting down <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and have this chat with me, man. I really appreciate it. No, it goes both ways. It's good to catch up with an old friend or competitor. And so, you know, the pandemic made things weird. So now, like, life is kind of back on the normal track. It just feels good to talk to one of my bodybuilding rows. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. So you have a very interesting life. I know for you, it might not seem too crazy, but I think for the outside eyes looking in, especially for someone like me, you're the stuff you do is incredible, right? So you are a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt under um, Hito and um, Henner and, uh, and and Henner Gracie, which is incredible. The, the two of the top probably Gracies in the world, right? That, that, that teach. They're all on top, but like, yeah, they're the masters of the craft of what they do. Yeah. And then on top of that, you are a IFBB and a PNBA pro bodybuilder. Yeah. Two, two divisions, right? Which is insane. Yeah, spread myself thin, and um, there's reasonings behind that, but they are both big accomplishments, um, at least in my 43 years of living. So, I, I mean, I'm very proud with, to have, you know, earned those prestigious, I guess it's like to be in those prestigious clubs. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been a black belt for? Uh, I believe I got my black belt in 2018. I could be mistaken, but I, I'm pretty sure that's when I got it. And um, so what is that? Uh, going on five years now. And when did you become an IFBB pro? Became an IFBB pro, I think, in 2014, three years after I started competing. I started competing when the men's physique division first started. So like whether people like it or not, I'm kind of a, a pioneer in this. A sport. pioneer, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would definitely say you're one of the pioneers. Absolutely, yeah. So, so one thing I did want to ask, like now, when you kind of look at the current state of men's physique in the IFBB specifically, do you feel like you can, if you were not a pro, do you feel like you would be able to get a pro card now? Now, if you were to do the NPC, no, I would not. There'd be no way the the uh the competition is and the prerequisites are way too demanding um there's i'm not willing to do what it takes to look the way they look so there'd be no way that i could compete with that type of competition um but all credit to them i mean they chose that path and those guys regardless of how they got there they look phenomenal yeah i completely agree and like the pitchers don't do it justice. Like I know a couple of these IFBB guys personally. And when I see them in person, I'm like, man, you are a massive human. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's truly incredible. Skin. It is. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, I work out in a gym. I work out um, not just in my own gym, but in uh, a Dave Fisher's powerhouse gym. It's in the city of Torrance, uh, you know, shout out to Dave Fisher. Um, and so it's a great combination between the bodybuilders and power lifters. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get that intertwining mix and, you know, you see the highest level in there, right. And you know what it takes to be at the highest level. And those right. guys are freaking insanely like they're ripped. 
they're swole. When you see them on stage, like you were saying, and you see them on pictures, yes, they look incredible. But like when you're up close and you know this as you are Mr. Olympia. So like I'm speaking to the champ, right? You know what it takes. You don't get full gym pump like worthiness on when you're on stage because you have bands and push-ups and all that kind of stuff, right? Right. Imagine yep. if like you had a bench press and all that. So we get to see in the gym the full potential of these incredible <laughs> athletes and they're like, boom. So yeah, they they look amazing. Um, so I'm happy to have participated like when I first started because, um, you know, like the path that it led me down, like it forced me to be better, but it also forced me to realize how bad I actually want this and what I would be willing to go through. So that's why I went to the uh, INBA eventually. Yeah. And that's completely understandable, right? Like even for me, I started in the NPC as well back in, back when I was 22. So this is like 2000. 13 maybe when I started only did one show I prepped myself I had no idea what I was doing but I didn't yeah. do I didn't do horrible I mean I took fourth out of 13 and naturally that's huge. Yeah. yeah and so that's but huge. after I did that one show I was like that's it I'm done I go I can't compete with these guys <laughs> like they're huge uh the yeah. guy who ended up winning his name was like David Lambo and he ended up going on to becoming like a, a IFBB pro and everything afterwards that yeah, as well so so after, for me, after a few years went by, that's when I learned about the IMBA and started my career there, or I should say, uh, restarted my career there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you've obviously killed it. So, you know, I took that for you to go there, but for you to place fourth and, uh, in a regional show, like the NPC, it, that's a big deal. I I'll say this with all due respect to people in the INBA, I don't think some of the winners, in that uh, in that league, could place first call out in the NPC, let alone even qualify to be an IFBB pro. That's just my yeah. opinion on it, because the standards uh, are high. So, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you. So, before we move any further, I do want to kind of take it back to kind of like what kind of sprouted the inspiration to be the incredible high level athlete you are today. Um, back to kind of like your childhood, um, you know, we talked a little bit before the, the actual podcast episode and, and we kind of exchanged a few text messages with each other as well, kind of get a little bit of background on you. And so one of the cool things is that you said that your dad would take you on these five and 10 K runs around six years old with, with your family, yeah. with your brothers and sisters. So what that, what I was really meaning to say, um, so I didn't want to give you my whole like biography was, of course. Yeah. So we, I have, a, I come from a larger family and my father, which is not in like an athletic person. He's actually a very educated person. He like he went the educated route. Um, he ran us um, six days a week. So it was a Monday through Saturday thing. And within any day, it would be a five or 10 K run. So we had, mm. we had routes like today we're doing the triangle, right? The triangle was a 10 K. You know, today we're going to go to Prospect and Prospect was a high school. It's in, I was born in Northern California. So like then, OK, we're doing a 5K. And so um, I started when I was six. I did my first 10K run when I was seven years old and I did well. And um, I was very fast at a younger age. And it was a, a real life competitive thing that had structure and that 
had basically requirements that needed to be done. So you come home, you have your snack, you do your homework, boom, and then you go run. There was no choice. Um, and if there were, you know, you gave a little whatever. It's like my dad was a very fucking serious person. So punishment was there as well. So it was forced. And um, I became good at it. Um, then it got to a point where uh, I was at that time. I mean, I'm 43 now. So do the math. You know, this is like in the 80s, basically. I, I was running under a six minute mile. So I was training in the June for the junior Olympics for the one mile. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, but then divorce does its thing. And then at 11 years old, um, I went from NorCal to SoCal to live with my mom. Right. And that was the best decision I ever made in my life. So it did have the effect because there was no longer a person standing there with the fucking whip, the structure was gone, right? There was no uh, punishment if you didn't want to go running. However, um, the nurturing, the nurture shape of my mindset was there. So my desire to move is fucking there. I, I do have ADHD and I do believe that in some aspects it helps me greatly when it comes to movement. So I tried to be, the runner that my dad wanted me to be all right there was still this kind of thing i wanted to uphold which is my father's legacy which is a fucking joke now that i'm a dad right that concept um and it was hard i mean i went back to a high school as an adult and to the high school i used to run at, and it's like wow this thing got small because when i was <laughs> yeah. younger it was it was huge mm -hmm. and the reason why it's huge not because it became you know uh 450 meters it's because when you're smaller, like, like when you travel around a track, it's a little harder, right? It takes more steps. Correct. More energy, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I always wanted to be strong. Um, I always wanted to be fast. Like I always loved that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's some content you can find. I, I, and I still stand by this. I love He-Man. I love Thundercats. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of a funny thing. Like, a he-man song bro I'll, sometimes i'll be in the gym and before my set i fucking go to youtube and i'm fucking i'm bumping he-man because it yeah. still gives me goosebumps right yeah i love um, that yeah so that's real shit so i uh you know short story long um i love being strong so i didn't have access to a gym at some point in my life so what we would do when i say we is me and my siblings or friends we would actually sneak into apartment buildings that had gym facilities there and that's how we'd work out wow. so we always worked out whether it was breaking into someone's fucking you know apartment structure or whatever the case was or it was you know trying to pretend you're going to sign up for a gym when you really weren't or just finding the park and just pull-ups and so on so uh that's how it was in between that time i taught myself how to surf uh, at the age of 13 Surfing was a big part of my life. And then um, I just, I've always been into movement and because uh, I love being free. So I just, I just, anything that would allow me to be more free, whether it's strong, climbing, running, you know, whatever the case is, connecting with nature, surfing, and so on, like I would apply myself to that. Uh, I was never great at it, uh, any one thing, but 
I, I was also around people that did these things at a very high level. So that's the standard that I'm actually comparing myself to. Uh, that's the only standard I compare myself to. So yeah, then um, bodybuilding came along and I used to like shit on bodybuilding. Uh, I used to, oh, that's not a sport. Like I was like mm -hmm. that. And then when men's physique came, then uh, I was like, wow, this is cool. I don't have to do drugs and I can compete. So right. Yeah, I was already training jujitsu back then too. So I was jujitsu athletes at the highest level. They have incredible physiques. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, they're just not as like proportioned as the judges would like them to be. But just their template alone, some of these people, they look incredible. And so I had, and that's because of the demand of the sport at that time. So I was lean. I had good development. And so I kind of rode that horse into the NPC and I did fairly well. So yeah, it's kind of like the condensed version of like, you know, NorCal to SoCal to where we are. Yeah. So although you don't completely agree with your dad's tactics when you were a child, like that kind of instilled who you are today though, right? It kind of helped build that no bullshit discipline because yeah. I see the way you train and and you're you're a monster, you know, with anything you do. Right. And do you kind of give credit to starting at six years old of kind of that regimen of running six days a week? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. So then I appreciate you bringing that up. So the point is for clarification is the idea of fulfilling your parents' legacy. That's what I meant. So okay, there's, it. yeah, there's the, uh, the motive behind the action is kind of what I focus on. And um, the action in itself is beautiful. The motive is where, to me, it's like, this is where the brilliance or the failure comes through. And so it was kind of something that I was doing to myself. I was trying to fulfill my father's desire versus my own. And when he wasn't there, I would feel like shit because I'm like, this is what my dad would want me to do. Right. I, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to run fucking six miles. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, it, it's torturous. But so what I did was like, I compensated. Like I, I have this like mindset where like, if you have five balloons, right. And these balloons represent a concept or a desire, right. That is either instilled in you or something that you just find that you like. If you take one away, the energy from this is going to go into these other four right? Mm -hmm. Or this will be replaced. And what happened was, I don't think that anything replaced this. I think the desire to be stronger and more aesthetic was kind of like better driven once I wasn't focusing on running or having to do that. Right. So, but like what you were saying, absolutely. There is no doubt in my mind that the structure of my lifestyle as a kid has almost everything to do with why I am the way I am today. And the, the concepts and structure will be somewhat applied. I believe I've refined it to a better version to my own daughter. So, yeah. Yeah. So no, that was a great point for, for clarity thing. Yeah. I feel like we all kind of do that as parents, right? Like we kind of take the lessons that we learned as kids and we kind of, improve it with our own children 
Absolutely. Right. You kind of, you kind of like feeling those missing pieces that you, that you know could be more towards improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do now. So that's beautiful, man. Um, and also you have a beautiful daughter, you, you and thank you, your wife. Yeah. I love it, man. You too. You have so, a wonderful family. Oh, thank you. So as we're kind of going through the years, um, when does your first taste of jujitsu actually happen? Like how did that come about? Okay. Um, it was a funny story. It was an interesting time in my life. And, uh, I was like, dude, like I would, I would train wrestle with my friends and, uh, the Gracie, a Hori and Gracie came out with this CD ROM. I remember CD ROM, like, you know, those things that you put in the computer. Yeah. And I learned, yeah. I, yeah. circular. Learned yeah. <laughs> I learned the guillotine. And so I was like wrestling with all my friends and I would like wait for them to grab me. I just guillotine them all. Right. <laughs> it's funny. I ironically till this day, it's my number one move. Um, and how old are you around this age this is i mean i'm in high school okay yeah so i always had confidence because i was always stronger i was always the stronger person right uh around my peer my friends and so like i was like you know what i want to do a jujitsu tournament now i had no experience at all with jujitsu besides what i would explain to you um i was like i don't have to get punched in the face and uh I can win. So, um, and I'm strong basically. So I went there and I, uh, I competed against the guy. I lost, but I did really good. Mm-hmm. Right. And I say that now as a black belt, when I say really good, it's relative to what I didn't know I should say versus who I was going against. I think I went against a four stripe white belt. Right. And I put it on the guy. Yeah. But, my stupid ass thought it was like identical to swimming. Like if you can swim in five feet, you can swim in a hundred feet. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to fucking take lessons this time. And imagine if I take lessons, I'm going to be better. But I remember I, uh, I go to this, this uh, jujitsu tournament and I'm on swole too back then. Back then, like weight training was my only thing. Well, well jujitsu kind of reduced, not kind of absolutely reduced my size and my strength. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I remember I'm in the back, everyone's eyeing each other out, and I couldn't wait to peel off, almost like at the bodybuilding show, right? Like, yeah, it's funny. And <laughs> these I guys have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's I fucking peel off, and I'm like, okay. And I'm just looking at people, eyeing them out. So I go against this guy. He's probably like fucking five, seven, like curly hair. He grabs my geese, like does this, he, he does like he pulls guard, it's called. And uh, man, I just start putting my form in his throat. I'm inside of his guard. And for those that don't know, the guard is where I'm in between. Someone's on their back and I'm in between their legs, right? So I pull and have my form on their throat. Now, you've trained jiu-jitsu, correct? Here and there a little bit. But you have some experience, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so for those that don't know, to, to train like an arm bar, if I put my arm on your throat, that's actually how you help your partner train the sequence, right? That's a drill. And that's what I'm doing to this guy. And uh, he puts me in an arm bar, and I fucking, my arm is extended. And I, you know how when you're underwater, you can hear crackles sometimes of like inside of a pool? I can hear my arm cracking mm. and I'm like, holy shit. 
So I was thinking two things, one step on his head or two drop him. And so I dropped him on his head. I got disqualified. And, uh, <sighs> after that time I was, Cause you're, uh, not, you're not allowed to slam people, right? No, bro. I had no right, right being, I had yeah. no right being on that map. Right. It was pure arrogance. I, to me, I define arrogance as unearned confidence. I had no reason to be there. And I almost fucking had my arm broken for it. And mm -hmm. I have a humbling mindset because, you know, like it, that, that kind of, that story always brings me back anytime I feel like I'm getting a little too ahead of myself, but I couldn't do a pull-up for six months. Now, calisthenics is a big part of my life. Pull-ups is a big part of my life. It's funny how I say that pull-ups, but um, I remember I'm, I'm working as a trainer at Gold's in Redondo and I'm sitting there waiting for my client and I'm sitting straight in, uh, in front of somebody doing a pull-up and I was talking to my arm as if it's its own life. I was like, please give me one more chance. I'll never do that to you again. Yeah. I promise you, just, just give me one more chance, please. I'll never do that to you again. And so I was like, fuck this whole thing. And then um, I was just, I thought I'm done with this jujitsu thing. But with the right people, the right mindset, you know, like you can go a long way. So you know that because you're a coach, like you don't coach everybody the same, like the personalities right. you talk to. So that's where Hedron and Henry came in. And um, before I even loved the sport, I loved them. And uh, that, that my relationship is stronger than ever till this day. And so one of my friends, rest in peace, is not here anymore. He brought me in. Um, and I never, I mean, I've been here ever since. And I'll be here as long as it's here, basically, or as long as I'm here, I should say. Yeah, and uh, and with uh, Hito and Hannah Gracie, like those two guys, they're they're phenomenal. Uh, like I know I know um, Hannah Gracie's a little bit more out there. He's such a good talker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a, an amazing personality. Uh, absolutely, he's a real genius. Like, yeah, I guarantee you, if you, if you like took a test or something like that, like he's like he's a he's like one of the one of the smartest people in my life that I feel the pleasure of saying that like I, I have him to help me if I need to. And, uh, and then he brilliant as well. Like, especially when it comes to like life wisdom, he's an actual like stoic individual in the sense of like, I don't know. Sometimes you feel that things are more complicated than they are. And then like you have these people that just, I call they drop gems and they're like, shit. So yeah, they're, their whole family is great. Their wives are great. Their kids, like, it's just, I feel fortunate. My daughter, you know, you know this as a father, right? Community is a big deal, you know, yes. when you have your loved ones. And it's very hard to say that you can trust people. But I feel very fortunate to be around great people that I can trust, such as them, especially raising my child. So, I mean, I am not complacent. I'm grateful every single day for these things that I have in my life. That's amazing, man. And just having that grateful mindset will literally make your life better. Like you start to view things better. Like things always fall in place a little bit better as well. Whenever yeah. you have that grateful mindset. It holds you to it's a higher amazing. standard too. You want to, you, you continue to want to kind of thrive versus kind of chilling and idling in the middle. And if people want to do that, like I'm nobody to anybody to, to, to you know, to be critical on that. But for me, it's like, 
sometimes when you see somebody you like and they're killing it, it's like, fuck yeah, that's, it just inspires you. I mean, if people are inspired by David Goggins and they don't know them, right. They don't even know the guy. Just imagine if you had people that you actually know that are doing great things. Yeah. I, I think that reciprocation could even be like 10 times more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. To be uncommon amongst uncommon men. Yeah. Yeah. There we Hopefully. go. So as you're going through the jujitsu, when does the bodybuilding competition start to come into play? You actually doing competitive bodybuilding now. Yeah. So um, I'm working at Gold's gym um, this time in the city of Hawthorne. And, uh, I find that, um, because it, I, there was a guy, Chris Lewis, and I, and I say his name because he's somebody that like was very helpful in the infancy stage of my bodybuilding career. Right. Mm-hmm. And me and him, like, he's a good guy. He's a former bodybuilder himself, like very knowledgeable. Um, I remember we were started to talk about certain things. And I was like, bodybuilding is not a sport. I go, bodybuilding is a sport. So is modeling. Right. So like we started going back and forth. Uh, and, oh, uh, the arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm this jujitsu guy, you know, I'm like strong. You see these like, bodybuilders. You like, I could beat them all up. I know jujitsu. Never. I don't think that, but I'm just kind of like, bro, you guys can't even fucking wipe your ass. The common saying, you can't even wipe your ass, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so he's like, you know what? Listen, you might not think it's a sport, but I promise you it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, bro, climbing a mountain or something like that. Right. I, I was, I was reducing down what he was saying. And in all fairness to me, it was due to the fact that I was just fucking ignorant. Right. There's a reason why religious people use fasting as a form of sacrifice. Right. It's a form of starvation. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you compete, you really learn who you are through this process. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like you, my first show, I just kind of winged it myself. Didn't really know what I did. I took the traditional no carbs. I just thought, oh, carbs were the thing. I didn't really know too much. And so I did well, too. I, um, I took second, my first show. Um, and, uh, you know, it motivated me to want to come back. Um, there was a political thing at that time, meaning there was a favorite that in the division that I was going against. It would be very hard to beat this guy. So... I didn't really know that either because I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why am I losing? Why am I losing? And so um, I kind of figured it out at some point where then I'm like, okay, I can see now there are certain things that you have to, you have to know how to play the game, right? What team you're on, stuff like that. And uh, then, but I actually had to do better with my, um, my training pro my uh, prep protocol. And once I got that dialed down, then I was pretty fucking undeniable. Um, and in some cases, and so I, I was like, whoa, this is like different. You know, I went from fucking eating no carbs and chicken salads to now eating, you know, hundreds and hundreds of grams of carbs and like just fucking being bone dry. Yeah. So things continuously got better for me. Uh, in the bodybuilding world and it just made more sense and not only that too i never like 
my like my like my brother and I, right? We never cheat. It's not like cheat. I mean cheat. You know, like once we fucking sign a fucking contract, right? Or once you fucking whatever it takes to finalize that yeah. on this date at this time you will be here to do this thing. Okay. That's when the fucking remember Adrian when she tells Rocky like when she goes, There's one thing I want you to do, Rocky too. That's when the fucking bells turn on, dude. And it's like, let's go. And so, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's a little jump start. I realized within myself it takes about the third week for me to be in full prep mode. The Mentally, first three weeks. Yeah. Is, yeah. Like I remember, like, cause I try to help my clients with uh, the dietary stuff. And one day I'm like, okay, here we go. And I'm like, fuck, wait, what do I do again? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm supposed to be the expert here. I felt so bad. <laughs> So like, uh, yeah, about three weeks, then I'm like in it. And then once I get dialed in, there's just, all I see is the end. And then I love making it fucking weird. It's weird because I feel like bodybuilding is this sport that wants to find some type of like, like life and death, like fucking motivation to talk about like dude you know fucking we they they'll say these quotes and stuff like that and in theory it's like we're just moving objects and then we go up there but there's just something about this idea of training so i would love it i go outside and there's 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 actual reasons why i do this but i run close to midnight when i'm doing my cardio right i separate my weight training and my cardio but I love putting on my fucking hoodie. I love fucking putting on my songs and I have program songs and I love running at nighttime. And I love knowing that I'm one of the only motherfuckers right now doing this shit. I love yeah. feeling weird. Yeah. So it's like, you get to, you get to be a, you know, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but this is for other people to hear. So you just get to be like an animal. Now, granted, yes, yes we're only going on stage with fake hands for a minute at a time <laughs> but when you say it like that <laughs> yeah but goddamn that process you know and it's like it's i grueling, love man. that yeah it is yeah it's grueling it's, because one thing i one thing i tell people i go when it comes to bodybuilding it's 24 7 it's not go to the gym go home and relax i go you go to the gym you go home and i have to do the meal prepping you know you have to make sure you hit every single macronutrient if you're tracking macros you have to make sure you're, you're doing every single cardio session if you're separating it like you have to make sure you're getting adequate um, um adequate amount of, uh, of sleep to make sure you're recovering properly for the next day taking your vitamins make sure you don't get sick like there's a whole protocol that goes into it day in day out and if you miss one fucking day your competition is not yeah no you're so right i mean you know it you know better than anybody basically it never stops until you're just off that stage, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like, you want to, and you don't know who's going to show up. Never. Yeah. Never, never. So just kind of like combat sports in a sport where you have almost no control. What the way I think is like, I need to do everything possible to increase the probability. Cause that's all I'm dealing with right now is probability. So that mindset overrides any desire to eat a food or, you know, cheat or whatever the case is. And, um, and I say that because I've, I've, I've known people that have like committed to a show and then like partway through it, they just want to fucking, you know, and Hey, listen, yeah. dude, like 
I get it. Like we all have our vices. And in that moment you were vulnerable for me, at least when it comes to that, like maybe if you put me in a fucking yoga class, right. You're going to see me fucking fall flat on my face. I'm not flexible yeah. at all. Right. But when it comes to this thing, I don't fucking like, I don't fail. Mm-hmm. Right. And failing is not contingent to placement. I'm just saying the process, no matter what I feel, what I don't feel, I'm going to do what it takes to get to that fucking that competition day with no fucking no mindset of oh I should have done this or shouldn't have that except actually I, I'm gonna put myself on blast my posing uh, fucking suck yeah suck. <laughs> you have two left feet god damn man it's like you know it's funny I'm, I'm always like like outside of prep was like oh well, yeah yeah you should do posing like we'll say the right thing while in prep I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. <laughs> yeah. And then when you're doing I, it, you're I in front of the mirror. all the time. I'm I always posing. Yeah. No, you're, you're one of the better ones. With me, it was like, when I did it, I would also do it in front of the mirror. Um, like, actually, I would say this, though. The last... When, when did we compete? In 2018, right? Uh, 19. Well, we did 19. the... We, we competed in the World Cup in 2018. Then we did the Olympia in 2019, though. So that year, I took it the most serious. That year, I took the posing, my shorts, and everything the most serious. And that was probably one of the better years um, that I had. So prior to that, yeah, that was that was the more difficult thing, I would say. Yeah. And, and just so people know, in 2019, you won the Masters class at the Olympia. So you are also a natural Olympia champion as well for the Masters. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Man. I'll take anything. Yeah, I was pretty stoked on that. You know, like that yeah. whole, I still have that uh, like little, I, that, I took off the, the ribbon. I just made it like a little plaque, you know. Oh, that's plaque. what I did too with mine. Yeah, smart. Yeah, yeah. it was same thing. It was cool. Did you keep that thing that they gave on the head? I still have it, yeah. Yeah, I never. I, I wasn't really digging that thing. I was like, man, can I take this off? Because <laughs> this would be like, like, like Greek, uh, like Olympic type thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I get, get that. That th- that works for you, but because you know what, you're taller, you're longer. But like, <laughs> what? I'm sh- no, I'm short, bro. You fuck. The more you put on me, the smaller I look. So like, <laughs> and not only that too. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but when you diet, when I diet, my head gets smaller. Like my oh, cap yeah. size. If I wear a hat. Yeah, I didn't know that until like later on. But so I got this big old thing on my fucking head, and I'm like, I see my picture. I'm like, I want to, you know, how you want to post something from the past. I'm like, yeah, not this one, no. <laughs> so I was almost like, can I take this one off? But nah, that was yeah, that was a good year. That was the year I did the best, and so I, I really am like proud of that moment in my life. Um, and so who knows what's coming now. Now you know what? Like I'm into track and field. Yeah, I've been seeing that a lot. I've been I've been yeah. seeing you. You're out there a lot. Yeah, I'm. I'm. That's like I think that's the next masters competition for me. So. So what do you think? Like Ironman competition, Spartan no, runs. No, like no, like hundred meters. Like there's the okay, like masters. like real track and field. Yeah, real track and field. Yeah, I didn't realize that. So here's what happened when my daughter was about seven months old. Um, we always were connected to the track. Um, I guess you can say it was kind of like scattered. Um, but throughout the pandemic, we're like, dude, we're going to do family track day. 
So uh, my wife, my daughter and I would go to the track. And um, within that time, there's like, a, you know how like when you go to the gym at like four o'clock, you kind of see the same people, the four o'clock crowd, you can call it, right? So yeah. we went to the track and we just saw the common crowd that we later realized. And so uh, there's a great group of people that are there. And there's a track coach that trains uh, US, UCLA athletes, uh, high school athletes, and so on. Now, I have my own track version of things, plyometrics, stretch shortening cycle type drills. Um, in the high school I go to, they have things where I can push and stuff like that. Uh, but I've integrated with them. And um, I found out that like my times are pretty competitive. Like there's a... Um, there's links you can go to where you input the distance and then your time and then your age. And you can see like where you would kind of rank in the world or, or in the nation. And I was like, I'm competitive. Yeah. There's still a lot to learn. It's it's a fucking very critical sport, Um, but it's semi low risk. And um, it's something that like the supplemental exercises that you do, like they just keep you in shape. But I ran a 40-yard dash uh, recently, and I ran a 4.85, right? That's fast. And I didn't know I could do that. Man, I have no idea. I would even know what, what fast is for a 40-yard. So the thing is, is this. It's, if you kind of like, if you Google it or if you go down this rabbit hole, in like the football world, it's probably the most lied about thing. People mm-hmm. lie about their 40 times, right? It's kind of funny. Four, three is the common lie. And the reason why is because like some of the best athletes are running high fours. Now, four, eight, five is not fast for like the highest level, right? Sure. But it's fast relative for my age and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, when you see something like that, then you hear people that are like like the coaches and stuff, and they're like, they give you credit then it's encouraging. So I feel like with a little bit more training um, and respecting the sport as it deserves, um, yeah, I'll do some track and field stuff. So that will be fun. So at 43, how does that feel on the body, like recovery-wise, like the joints, the hips, the glutes? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny because I, I don't necessarily think that I – I feel more of the mistakes that I've made in the past than I do like the soreness of frequently training. Right. And that's because I can auto-regulate today. I didn't, I went to the track. I, I'll go there no matter what, whether I'm doing something or not. And then my wife was like, cause usually I'm the one that's more active. So I was like, Hey, go ahead, do your thing. I'll watch the baby. Cause I want my daughter to grow up in that environment around those yeah. type of athletes and so on. Right. Um, but I didn't do anything. And the reason why is because like my Achilles tendon, I feel a little soreness there. Like right now I feel a little something in my biceps. So I'm going to take this whole week. I'm going to deload this whole week, right? Pretty significantly, possibly the next week. Um, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I ran a lot when I was younger. So I probably have a little arthritis in my foot. Mm. I have shoulder issues. I've torn my rotator cuff. I love heavy bench pressing right? or what I consider to be heavy. And I've done that for so many years of my life. Um, and so like things that I've done in my past um, are now like more, um, I guess they're a little louder when they cry. 
but when it comes down to my actual training regimen daily, uh, I have fucking no problem at all. As long as I get my food and my rest, you know what? Like I've toned it down. I don't have to rebuild the road anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to get huge. I don't want to get fat. And I understand that like, as we grow older, there's a few things that happen. Right. So first of all, like they've noticed some correlation to people that live longer, right? It's leg strength, VO2 max and grip strength mm-hmm. and grip yep. strength is not because if your hands are strong, it's going to make your heart beat longer. It's because they feel that maybe people with stronger grip strength are just used to being more active. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to live longer, obviously, because I'm an older father. Right. Second, like we, we, you've, we've seen these people online where they, they're like 80 years old and they cross the finish line of a marathon. Right. Yeah. We, we've seen people that are like, Oh, I'm 60 and I deadlift 300 pounds. But you don't necessarily see older people doing powerful things, mm-hmm. right? Like right. Uh, plyometric jumps and so on. So strength, okay. If you, if, if you, as long as you keep that fucking stimulus there, it'll kind of hang on to you, right? Or you can just yeah. be naturally strong. Endurance, same thing. You'll see a lot more older people doing a lot more endurance sports. Fucking athleticism like agility, plyometrics, that shit goes. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, I need to hold on to that as long as I can. So my Sundays are my track days, but if I can cap it as an umbrella term, it's my athletic day. It's the day I run. It's the day I jump. It's the way I move in all directions. It's the day I throw. It's the day I push and pull, right? So if I have like, if you play like a video game, a game controller, I want to have all directions accessible to my video game character. And I want to be strong, but also be able to be powerful and so on. So knowing that that, that I guess you could say those features are so perishable, it's up to me to at least put my body through that type of stress. I say one day a week, but in reality, it's fucking two hours a week. But if you even narrow it down to two hours a week to the actual time in motion, it's literally no more than fucking 15 minutes of total time. You ever done that? Yeah. Go to the gym one day, time every set of activity, right? Then contrast that to how long you were there. It's funny. You won't even get 11 minutes worth of work. Right. Because you only work for about 15, 20 seconds. Yes. Per, per set. Yeah. Cause I record a lot of my sets. Whenever I record it, they're only about 15 to 20 seconds. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know how, like when you uh, read like the ingredients, the first ingredient is primarily what it is or like, right. uh, so are we going to, to the gym to rest or are we going to the gym to train? Because we only train this much, but we're primarily resting, right? Resting. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So that's how I think about it. If I just give myself a series of minutes, then I could maintain this type of like, you know, desirable, you know, athleticism, I'll do it. So I'm sorry for ranting. I, I just, no, no, I love it, man. I, I've actually never thought about it like that. I guess that's a really good way to put it. 
now you have me thinking like, yeah, I kind of do what I time, like <laughs> my total work in the gym. Now I'm going to look, I'm be like, I'm all sore for doing 13 minutes of, of weightlifting yesterday. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting because you, know? you probably already do this without really realizing it is, you know, like a time under tension. Yeah. Okay. So then like, it's just a different way to assess time under tension. So if you do get 13 minutes and then next time you're like, no matter what, let's try to get 14 minutes. Mm. Right. It's yeah. like now Aggressive. you just increase. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh-huh. you can look at it that way. So it's just a different, interesting way of looking at it. And like, it's another way of saying, Hey dude, like, um, how much stress am I actually going through when I walk into those doors? And it's like, and my wife gave birth and was in labor for fucking X amount of hours. Like, dude, no way. Like we got this shit, you know? Yeah. Like we got this. So it's not to be critical onto those that have a difficult time fulfilling the fitness desire. I think it's very easy to speak like you're, you know, this pretentious person once you're already there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, however, if you break things down in that way, it might be a little bit easier for people to digest. And uh, that's kind of like the mindset in regards to how I kind of, I don't know, just communicate with certain people. It's not nearly as like rigorous um, as we would love it to be because we love the rigorous story. Yes. But the story is already when things are done, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, as I'm sitting here now and I'm talking about the running and the dieting and this and that, there are moments like you would know when you're in there and you're like, this is uncomfortable. Like this is long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Day in, day out. So I, I actually recently got into a powerlifting program, like a legit powerlifting program, right? I've never, I've always power lifted, but I never actually done a powerlifting program. So I hired um, my coach, Morgan Aquino. He's actually um, has a world record for, for totals for his weight class. Nice. And, um, I hired him. I'm about 17 weeks in now. And now I'm finally starting to get um, used to it. But man, those first four weeks were yeah. absolutely brutal. And I used to be the one to see the powerlifters in the gym. And I'd be like, man, look at these guys resting for five minutes, resting for 10 minutes. Man, yeah. powerlifting is tough, man. And obviously it's, it's tough because I, I, I've been a bodybuilder for 17 years and now I'm trying something new out. And, yeah. um, but man, I'm sure it was the same thing once you got to the track and field. It was just so brand new at the very beginning. I'm sure definitely kicked your ass at first. It did. Like when I did the repeats. So I, I, I had, I was always pretty quick. Right. Yeah. So I knew that. Um, but I remember there was a day pretty recently actually, where he's like, the coach is like, we're going to do four, three hundreds. Mm-hmm. like, okay. I only had two. Like I couldn't yeah. walk after the second one. I had so much fucking, <laughs> I had so much fucking of this like toxic fucking lactate in my leg. I was like, oh, this yeah. is like, this is not going to fucking work. My mouth was dry. I started getting a little nauseous. And um, I was like, sorry, guys, like I'm feeling it in my hamstrings. So I had two in me. Um, so, yes, there was a lot of humbling experiences uh, in, in that sense. And like what you were saying, there, there's one thing about what you're doing that I, I really, really, really like appreciate. I, I do believe that um, bodybuilding into powerlifting, right, is very humbling. 
But, uh, and you see a lot of that crossover. I don't see a lot of crossover the other way around. Right? Correct. Yeah. And not to be critical onto everybody, but sometimes people in that venue believe they, they have a justification as to having excessive like body fat percentages as like, hey, this is the reason why, because I power lift. But then when you see some of the, the best people in the world, they're not necessarily as big as some of the other people mm -hmm. so with you stepping in as lean as you are and still doing it i mean fuck i give you credit man that's like thank you you're doing both yeah yeah and i'm still doing my, my bodybuilding accessories on the side as well but not only that my coach if you've seen him you would think he's a bodybuilder because he's so lean as well because he competes at such a low weight class and so he doesn't like to get too high above his weight class he only he competes at 148 yeah so you know, it's really well, well, that makes sense then. Like, as far as my experience, it, it, it makes sense as to why he's as successful as you described him. Because the more successful people, they don't necessarily like, uh, like you said, I mean, they do their accessory work, which is mm -hmm. hypertrophy, which is like what we do, right? Yep. Um, yep. And so the other stuff, I'm not saying it's easy, like, you're still working there, but the, the bodybuilder, I remember Dr. Andy Galpin, he's a like, He's a good friend. He's somebody that I feel very fortunate enough to work with, with um, uh, Brian Ortega, one of the uh, UFC athletes. And there's a great clip where he describes hypertrophy training. He said it's kind of like dummy proof, right? But it's really hard to do, right? Because <laughs> the really concept hard. is easy to understand, Correct. right? Yeah. Well, you just like go in there. It's like, it's like, yeah, you can't go. But like to actually get there, to push yourself until like you're really fucking initiating that, that growth signal. That stimuli. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, that's not easy. Nope. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of mental fortitude, toughness to really push yourself to that extent. And yeah. um, I'll never forget. I was doing a workout. I was doing a video with one of my buddies and we were doing an arm day together. And we were doing the preacher curl. And, and I'm laughing as I'm doing it because I'm in so much pain, but I, but I enjoy it. And yeah. he's like, why are you laughing? I go, because it hurts so bad. But at the same time, I'm a little crazy and I enjoy the pain. And I remember yeah. he kind of like just put his head down and shook his head. And he's like, and that's why you're the best. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're, you're built yeah. for it. You yeah. Better absolutely. mind that's built for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and. And just so, just so people know, like I, I didn't have that mindset when I first came into bodybuilding, right? It, it took time. It took years to, to develop that, that kind of love and passion for something to which when you're going through the pain, you know, you can keep going, you know, it, it definitely didn't happen overnight. So yeah. I love that you mentioned, um, Brian Ortega. I'm, I'm actually going to use that as a segue to go into what you're currently doing, which is you do strength and conditioning now with top level MMA athletes from all across different platforms, right? Bellator, UFC, other organizations. Um, yeah. Primarily so, UFC. I don't know if I've had any Bellator. I don't want to forget, but I know primarily UFC. Yeah. So you, you, you've had the pleasure of working with Brian Ortega, who I know is a good friend of yours, Anderson Silva, Fabrice Over Doom, uh, Carla Esparza, who's now a champion. Like you've had a chance to yeah. work with, to have your hand in, in, in a role of these athletes. And that's got to feel amazing that these top level athletes who have 
literally the world at their hands when it comes to strength and conditioning coaches and they chose you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's got, that's, that's got to be humbling. It is. And it's also something that like I feel um, like there's not especially like so camps go up and down, you know, um, like sometimes somebody's in camp and uh, especially when the stakes are high, especially like like when you talked about like when you're bodybuilding, when you go home, it's just not over. I, I have such a great relationship with these people that you mentioned. Um, when I go home, I'm still thinking about like. Like I, I, I stay in my lane. I stay in my lane. I'm not a skill coach, right? Uh, I am not anybody to basically uh, um, prescribe, hey, do this, do this, right? Like when you, they go and fight, right? Um, but I do watch their fights. And I watch their fights because I'm like, hey, maybe we can find something to do that's going to be beneficial towards whatever the strategy that we're going towards, right? When I say their fights, I'm watching their opponent's fights, basically, right? This guy yeah. seems to be, yeah. So it's like, I get so wrapped up into it because, um, man, I fuck, I, I love these people. You know what I mean? Like you get connected with them. Like you get, you, you hear about their life. You see what their injuries, you hear their struggles, like personal stuff. Like you, you talk to their kids, like you really get connected with them, like at, at the deepest level. And then, um, probably the one of the mo most stressful things too, when you see them fight with me, it's, it's kind of an inside joke actually, where like, I'd be like the worst person to be to, like, to be a cornerman, right? <laughs> I can't fucking contain myself. At I've gotten better, but like, um, I get super like emotional. There was a time I believe, uh, I was watching Carlos fight or maybe Brian's fight. And I put a heart rate monitor on and I record it. You know, you can screen record. Right? yeah dude bro my fucking shit went so high i bet because, yeah my adrenaline was fucking pumping and so um i do feel grateful um not just the fact that i have like i get to work with them because that definitely helps me for what i do for a living but because i get to call these people my friends um and i'll know them after they're done fighting you know so yeah uh there's there's perks obviously on the social on the surface but then there's like the bond underneath that really nobody else probably cares to hear about but like that really knows about so i do feel very fortunate so to, to kind of touch on a, on a i i want to say a sensitive subject would be obviously you're there for their victories but you're also there for the losses right how does someone like you handle a loss like not obviously you're you're keeping in touch with the fighter themselves but how do you personally take it because you are a part of that camp yeah so the the first thing i do is like it's 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 kind of not a system where it's like the same it, it's going to be unique per situation right but usually there are times where you kind of got to give space a little bit at least intuitively that's what i feel like don't just bombard this person and this whatever. And then I, I just, I just don't say much, man. I, I don't, as long as they're okay, that's really all I give a fuck about. Like, Absolutely. so let, let's, yeah, let's just like, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, man. Like, 
you're and then and then we can talk about it like if if they feel if i feel like there's an opening to talk about it if there's any responsibility on my end that i feel was contributing to a result i'll apologize like i'll, I'll take you know full responsibility like you know um hey man i'm fucking i should have done this whatever you know like i'll own my shit um but yeah it's mainly just dude are you guys okay and then if they're not okay then i don't care about the loss thing it's more like let's get you better first let's heal you up yeah um and then i'm not just talking about physically i'm talking about mentally whatever that is so mm-hmm. you kind of just you go with them it's not about you you go with them all i want them to know is that i'm here like i'm yeah. here to be quiet i'm here to talk i'm here if you need water i'm here you know and uh that, that's kind of like if if I had to put it in like a structural whatever mindset, um, that's kind of how it is. It's just, dude, I'm here. Let's uh, let's just get better. And um, regardless of any result, like, fuck, bro, I love you. You know, that's really what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'm sure everybody in the camp, I'm sure, is kind of on the same page with that as well. Yeah, I mean, you hear some stories about how things can go differently. But as far as the people that I feel that like I communicate with, especially now, yeah, no, everybody is connected. Yeah, that's good. So as you start to prepare these fighters for their fights, obviously, like you said, everyone has a different approach, right? You have Brian Ortega, Prince Verdum, Silva, Carlos Esparza. They all have their own specifics. Is there anything funny you can tell me when it comes to these fighters? Like who has like funny habits? Is anybody having any rituals that they kind of go through before a training session? So uh, Verdun uh, is probably like probably one of the funniest fucking killers I like know in my life. I like working with that guy. Makes him scarier. You know what? He's not, I don't see him as scary. I've just, I've laughed so hard. Like I'm crying. Like we had the best sessions like that. And there's just times where I'm super like sensitive to like how people are. Sometimes you can't be, sometimes you got to be more rigid. Hey, we got to do this. Okay. 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 Sometimes like, Hey, what do you want to do? He goes, please, please don't give me, don't give me options. (laughs) He's so he's very transparent. But don't give me options. Don't give me options. And like, I mean, he just he works his ass off. But then there's just moments of time where he's just like the way he tells a story, the story that's being told. Like, he's very funny. Brian, Brian is fucking rad. And the reason why Brian's rad is because um, he's one of those guys where I just feel that. As it gets closer, his brain changes to killer. Mm-hmm. And I love that, which means he's not as playful. He's not as funny. And when I see and I've been with him long enough to know that's happening now. It's like, it's like my jokes aren't as funny. I, I don't even have good jokes, but you know what I mean? Like you yeah. just, it's just not so easy. He kind of goes to that, into his alter ego of just killer fighter zone and i don't even i don't even think he's doing it it's Mm -hmm. like you know when like we compete and your body fat gets so low people they go oh hangry hangry i'm like no no no. hangry is for rookies that's for like 
your low carb dieters. When your body fat gets low, we have this inherent fucking focus. Your smell, your hearing, your senses fucking just get so heightened. And the example I always use is a lion, right? Now, keep in mind that this mindset still applies to the fighter, such as Brian, because they're dieting, right? Mm -hmm. So the lion that has its ribs showing isn't walking around like, I'm fucking hangry. No, no, no. The lion is focused as fuck. It's not mad. It's not sad. It's not anything because all that requires energy. It's just this. It's Mm -hmm. smelling things. Why does In-N-Out smell better when you're dieting? Why are you able to smell more? It's like you are so focused on that next meal because you're, you are in a starvation state, right? Yeah. And that's where something comes in your way of food. Yeah, you'll get bitten, bitch. But otherwise, most of the time, they're going to leave everything alone. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be talked to. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? So when he yeah. comes in and he's in this state, He's not doing it. I know that sounds cool, but no, he's, he knows that in this date, I'm going to go lock myself in, but then he also has to go eat his food. He has to do his training fucking two, three times a day. His brain just, it, it just, the mindset shifts to where it should be. And I, I don't use that word too, uh, too often. Should be. You're going to war. You're in a fucking deficit. You have more work to do after this. And everything's on the line on this date. You fucking better be that focus lion, right? Carla is the same oh, way. Yeah. Carla's the same, but Carla, uh, like, uh, I have more like, like continued experience with Brian off and on than I do with Carla. So there's a bigger contrast, right? So they come in and they just, you can just tell. And you know what you got to do? You just got to let them be. You yeah. just got to, you can't, some people can take it personal. No, but if you're really wise, and I say wise because wise is like living experience versus knowledge is like red experience, right? If you're wise to the game, you know, okay, he's right where he or she's right where they should be here. All we got to do is our work. Sometimes words aren't said, and then that's it. You fucking hug them and you say goodbye. So, <laughs> so I know that's kind oh, of a drift off of the, the topic. So, no, I love it though. Yeah, it's kind of like, Fighters are interesting, you know, um, but they're also, they're fucking, they're just different from normal people, man. I'm not them. I'll tell you that right now. I cannot mm-hmm. fucking do what they do. They're special fucking people when it comes to walking out in front of millions and just trying to beat somebody up. Yeah. Talk about adrenaline dump, right? Like uh, I get a, an adrenaline dump just watching them sometimes. Yeah. Like. Just like you said, how whenever you're watching, you, you'll be a horrible cornerman because you get so involved with it. Your adrenaline skyrockets. You're like going to have a heart attack and you want to get more involved and you can't. And so imagine like how they feel when they're walking out, their songs playing, they're being announced by Bruce Buffer. It's like the emotions, I, I can't even imagine. Never, ever. Yeah. There was a story one time that like I, I, I tell my family. So um, Brian took me to a, a live event. Um, and I, I don't really like going to the live events as much. I'm more of a homebody. You know, I like just shutting off the TV and just being by myself. But like, I, I loved it. I was in this, you know, I had good seats, whatever. And so um, they escorted him out of the uh, the arena, like as the, the show was over. And so you get to walk, you're walking outside 
right? And to do so, you got to walk through the tunnel that they walk out of, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm walking side by side. Now, keep in mind, I'm an introverted person naturally. So if you see me, like, I'm not very just talkative, but holy shit, bro. I'm telling you, I'm looking up. Bruh, bruh, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I could not imagine, like, the opposite direction. You're walking out to fight, and then you see, like, all of these people. I'm just like, oh, my God. This is kind of overwhelming right here. <laughs> like, what? And, like, so that's what I'm saying. There's just so many moving parts to this kind of game. It's like, you got to be built different for this, in my opinion. And I, I don't have that, but I appreciate win or lose anybody that gets out there. First of all, that, that steps in that octagon, like that's like a special person, but then to do it in front of so many people to me, I'm like, Whoa, this is like, you gotta be a, you gotta be a performer. I mean, yeah. you gotta be built different. So as, as years go on, what do you think is one of the main factors that keeps a fighter fighting even when they're getting to their later ages? Like, obviously, you have fighters that have great success. Like, you, you, you know, you are, you are Romero, who's, like, already in his mid-40s, and he still he just won his last fight. And, um, like, but for other fighters, they don't have as much, as much success as they start to age what do you think keeps them in the game for so long? Like, do you think it's just the love for fighting? Do you think sometimes it's financially? Um, like, what do you think it, it could be? So I, I think fighters, I, I think a fighter is less contingent on the physical and it's more contingent on the mental, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the result is not what makes them the fighter. In fact, I will say the bigger fighters are the ones that fucking come back after getting knocked down, right? It's the ones that come back after losing. I don't think that they ever fucking kick that mindset. And I feel that certain people are more okay with the idea of letting things go. But I think that no matter how okay, this is just my opinion, fighters are okay with letting things go regardless of how successful they are financially fame wise and all that there's always a part of them that wants to be inside there yeah it doesn't matter result it doesn't matter their age and certain people just have a harder time saying goodbye right and it's like they they believe in themselves they believe in themselves first before they were famous before anyone gave a shit about them they had the mindset you don't just fucking become a fighter you don't buy it you don't learn it it's you either have it or you don't right and so yeah they started that way alone and they're at some point they're saying hey i'm doing this fuck it with or without you and so the people that have been established around them they love them so even if they feel different first of all it's not their life so yeah they can they can say what they feel. And, and, and there are people that have teams like that are close enough to say, what do you guys think? And certain people be like, Hey, I don't think you should do this. And then certain people might listen, right? It just depends on the uh, chemistry and the relationship, but just speaking about it, just from a general like person that's not even connected to something like that, to someone like that. I just see like those people always having confidence in themselves to do something right and they didn't 
they obviously got into this because they feel like they could win. But like I said, man, it's like if when they lose, they're not like, oh, the, the fighting mindset isn't gone. I mean, maybe some people are. I mean, I know I've been punched and I didn't like it. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, you know, but you <laughs> see this. Ask that. <laughs> yeah. The stress of the sport allowed me to understand who I am. Right. Yeah. So if it's non-competition, like we have fight simulation days, I've been fortunate enough to train with some of the highest levels. I have been concussed by UFC fucking athletes. You know what I mean? Like I've been, but like it was, we were doing it right. So I don't like that. I don't, I don't do that shit. So to me, I I've gotten my hands dirty enough to understand that uh, I'm not doing this stuff. Right. Not my thing. But, yeah. No, definitely not. But to them, it's like, they're better built for that. And it's not because they realize that they're good. It's because I feel like they've always had that fucking fighter instinct inside them. And with venues such as the UFC and so on, like they provide them a platform to express what they have already innately inside them. So when they start getting older, that doesn't go away. Like, it doesn't go away. I still feel like they watch this shit. They're like, they still feel like they could do something, you know, and I don't blame them. So to me, it's probably hard to always think that you have a chance, but just, you know, at some point in time, you realize that you're just a little older. Yeah. Cause you have those fighters. You, you'll have those fighters that like they'll retire and then they'll do one more fight and then they'll win and they'll, oh, you know, maybe I'm not ready to retire. And then they have like two more losses. Like, okay, I'm done. Right. Like, I yeah. think a good example would be like Tito Ortiz, right? He kind of went through retirement, came back and he fought Ryan Bader and he ended up submitting him in the first round. And he was yeah. like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here now. And so going to Bellator, had a few successes over there and then started losing. He's like, okay, I am done. So you'll kind of have that too, like those kind of waves of people who want to retire, they have a good fight, and then they want to stick with it, right? And it's like they, they want to hold on to it. And you can't blame them, especially someone who's who like Tito Ortiz, who's been fighting for, man, for probably longer than I've been born. Yeah, yeah, he's been out there for a while. He's like, he's one of the OGs for sure. Mm-hmm. I think he's had like, surgeries and stuff like that you know it's a very unforgiving and all game. that yeah yeah and i mean listen like fuck i'll bet you the people closest to him were the ones that are like yes or no you know guiding him mm-hmm. so um i have good relationships with the people that i work with um if they ask me that question or a question similar I'll tell them the truth. I won't lie. Um, but if they don't, then I don't consider it my business. I yeah. just will be there to support them. So I just, like I said earlier, I just stay in my lane. I mean, that, that's a true friend, right? Like they ask you, you're going to be honest with them. You don't, you don't want to just be a yes man. And if right. they want some privacy, you're going to give them that privacy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what is next? For Mike, what does the future hold for you? Like, do you want to continue to do like the strength and conditioning? Is there something more you want to get into the track and field? I know, but like, as far as career career um, wise, what is something you kind of want to look into? Yeah, so like, um, I, I I invented a product as I told you. It's called the Booty Bridge. 
it's like a the glutes bridge apparatus so that was something fun um that i feel fortunate i think we've kind of like missed the major mark for success because home fitness product in like 2020 like skyrocketed so we're going to do our best with that it's a good product i i really like what i do right now um and unfortunately but semi-fortunate i don't have too many options so as far as i know i just need to continue to build my business here to to make some type of like money-making machine and just focus on providing a um you know, just a, a good, healthy living for my daughter, basically. So uh, I, I'm I'm pretty content with what I'm doing and who I'm working with. So I, I want to go like the inventor production thing. I like that. But that's difficult. Um, marketing, there's like a lot of layers to it. Um, I've thought about like not recently but even in the past like do, you know going to law enforcement stuff like that but i wouldn't be a good first responder i'm not good with like blood and guts and stuff like that so yeah i'm just i'm doing what i love to do right but right now it just seems like the most pragmatic thing and i don't spread myself thin i'm not going to give energy to something else and I don't necessarily believe I have that time right now. So if I was in a better position, then maybe you can think about, hey, you know, maybe I will go try this for a little bit. But mm. right now, I like the momentum and the groove that um, I'm experiencing with what I do. And I'm still hungry for it. I still love working with the people that I'm working for. And um, if that ever changes, then I would love to learn the answer to that question myself because I'm still figuring out who I am too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're in a, a very fortunate spot, obviously. Like you have your own gym, you train with literally the best athletes to ever walk the earth. And, yeah. and you have the pleasure of working with them, you know, firsthand and helping them out and making them even better athletes. And I think that position you're in right now is phenomenal. And it opens a lot of doors to a lot of different directions, right? So you have a lot of yeah. cool, I feel. Absolutely. So um, real quick, uh, let the people know where they can find you. Like, uh, where's your gym at? How can they contact you? Where's the website for the Booty Bridge? Okay. No, thank you. Um, so you guys can, my name is Mike Safai. You guys can always find me um, on Instagram. My gym is in the city of Torrance. It's a small little gym. It's not like open just to anybody in the public. It's private. Um, and um, it's inside of Grace University. Um, so my gym is inside of the, it's about 50,000 square feet. So my gym is about 1,500 square feet. So you have like, a, it's like walking into the gym, you can see like people training jujitsu and then you can come in there and it's like, you know, you have a series of like equipment for performance and also for aesthetics. Um, and yeah, the booty bridge is bootybridge.com. Go there, check it out. Um, and just give it a look. It's something that I thought about well over 10 years ago. I just didn't have the means to kind of put it out on the market until somebody put confidence in me. And so I'm very proud of it. And uh, yeah, until the next one comes out, you know, like uh, that's pretty much what I do in my life right now. Nice. And, and where can people find you on social media? 
oh just instagram i don't really go on facebook anymore um so yeah just mike safai on instagram it's kind of like the i guess you could say the the fastest way to get a hold of me if you guys like uh actually want to and feel free uh to dm me with questions um i don't answer everybody all the time but I will. I always do my best to provide at least some type of insight towards something that I feel like I can. So if I can, I'll just say I don't know. But if I do, like I'm not too cool for anybody. I don't feel like I'm better than anybody, and I never will feel too cool to not respond to somebody that's asking me for help. So whoever hears this out there, fuck, hit me up. I'll prove myself truthful. If you guys have a question, and I feel like you feel like I can help you with it. I'll do my best. If not, I'll just tell you, I don't know. So. Yeah, absolutely. You're a stand-up guy, Mike, and I truly appreciate you for taking the time to, to sit down and have this conversation with me, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate being on it, man. And just connecting with you. And like, I feel like this is uh, just, you know, who knows? We were supposed to work out a while ago. So yeah, I mean, maybe. you're not that far from me, so we could definitely make yeah, it. Yeah. Maybe now it actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I look forward to it. Thanks again, Mike. I truly appreciate it. And for everybody uh, watching and listening, make sure you guys um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. You guys can also listen on Spotify and iTunes podcast. If you are listening on iTunes, you can leave us up to a five-star review and we appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next time.